Welcome everybody. Happy to be here tonight. I hope everybody's doing great this evening. Uh, I am with Parak. Uh, hey man, how's it going? Oh, it's going pretty well. I was actually just watching myself on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be distracted by yourself. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful day in the Netherlands today. Yeah. And uh, people were walking around my apartment, hearing uh, yeah. on PSV, as you mm -hmm. heard a few minutes ago. So yeah. it's uh, yeah. exciting time. Wonderful. Exciting time. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. we can't play the music on Facebook, by the way, because of copyrights issues. So the music is only on uh, the radio stream. But anyways, we're here. Good weather, good company. Yeah. Um, how's it been? I mean, uh, we, we talked to you last time um, six months ago in December, right? How's, right. how's, how's life been trading you so far? Yes. So you talked to me around the time where it went dark at 4.30 in the afternoon and it got light at 9 in the morning. And now it's uh, the absolute reverse, uh, if not better. Mm -hmm. So it gets dark around 10 p.m. and I'm up at the crack of dawn at 5:45 in the morning when the sun wakes me up. Yeah. Um, but I, I was gonna say that that that's a very awesome, positive thing because I've been pretty energetic the last, uh, you know, half a year. I can't believe it's been seven months, and mm -hmm. uh, you know, just excited to continue to live here. It's it's a great yeah. country. Uh, meeting meeting new people every day, expanding my work and uh, personal network here, and just really kind of trying to continue the pathway to be Dutch, right? So yeah, um, yeah. it's going to be a long pathway, but certainly you got to start somewhere. So Sounds good. And do you feel like you are, you know, a bit more Dutch now, six months down the road? Well, I'm a little bit more intertwined with the culture, let's say. <laughs> I, you know, I, I don't have a house. I, I fear, uh, fear getting into real estate purchases early, which I know a lot of uh, people in their 20s do. And maybe that's a topic for... It's, Another interview. <laughs> you know, you don't want to get into the market now. It's a very hot market these days. Yeah, but uh, in the United States, you need twenty percent to put down on a house, and here you need an ID card and thirty euros. So yeah, um, it's a lot different in the way that uh, that part of their life is experienced. But no, I, you know, in terms of cultural, um, you know, visibility for me, again, we're in what wave three of now Corona. So. Mm -hmm. Other than, you know, having a little bit more freedom and being able to go out to some outdoor cafes and things like that in the last few months, it's it's still been quite restrictive, you know, but you do the best you can. I make best friends with the people at the grocery store and, you know, I, I go to as many ASML work events as possible. I actually happened to see you um, in the local news, right, that you actually donated something for the Yimbo uh, yeah. in your building. Tell us about it. That was a while ago. That was back in December. But, uh, you know, we, we appreciate, as we should, all of the people that work in um, really extreme um, uh, environments like the, the medical industry and, you know, um, first responders and those types of things, especially during Corona time. But I think the biggest unsung heroes in, in all of the societies around the world has been uh, people that have to go to work. Uh, that are in the service industry and, mm. and support and in infrastructure. So also the government and and especially the people at the grocery store that, you know, um, really, really came out there, were, were present every day with a smile, still putting out like excellent um, resources for us because we all need to eat. And uh, I, I happen to live directly above my local grocery store here and I know probably 30 to 40% of them personally. 
And so I, I went and gave a little. Uh, still, you know, 30, 40% is still a lot. I mean, if you would ask me or any other common people, we would know zero or, you know, zero to 5% of the people that we know personally yeah. in the supermarket. It's amazing how you, as an expat, as a non Dutch, actually, um, um, you know, manage to do these things, but also think about these things and how to contribute back to the community. Well, yeah, I mean, we're all a part of the society in which we live and, and whether or not I identify as an East Indian ethnicity individual who's American and happens to live in Eindhoven, I mean, that's something that I, I can portray myself as and, and use that as an excuse to exclude. But in the interest of, of living my best life, so to speak, I, I want to be as integrated into this culture as possible and embrace all of those opportunities for cultural exchange as well. And, and to be honest with you, these guys earned it, right? They, I mean, they deserve a little bit of love and it wasn't very much. It was five euros per employee, uh, but sure. it allowed to go get some chocolate or a bottle of wine or something. Yeah, um, but it's still, it still made their day, you know, definitely. You, you, I don't know. you don't have a customer like you walking in every day, giving out well, five euros. <laughs> I tell you what, when I proposed it to the general manager there, he was like, I just don't understand what you're trying to do. And... And then the second response was, are you crazy? And I said, no, I, I just, I don't get it. This is my like charitable giving for the year. Yeah. And um, yeah, that but was- how, the, how did the local news pick that up then? So apparently some people from the Yumbo called and said, you know, there's a newspaper called ED. I, I'm not sure what the I full name is. Yeah. yeah, so um, I think it's, uh, maybe that's the local area where it's published, but they also have an insert for every major city that's unique to that region. Anyway, one, uh, they got several calls from these employees saying that I had done that and, you know, they called for an interview and I declined. I was like, yeah, I don't know. I'll give you a statement. Finally, at the end of it, I was like, I'll give you a statement. And, and the guy was like, look, it's a, it's a nice community piece. And with all this Corona stuff going on, we really want to highlight some positive. And I said, OK, I'll give you I'll give you a little bit more than a statement. And then at the end of the conversation, he said, you know, can you come down and, and take a photograph with me and, you know, we'll get the manager there. And I was like, okay, fine. But can you put it like on the back page of the newspaper in like a small black and white photo or something? And he was like, no problem, no problem. And at the end of the day, it came on the front page, oh, of yeah. the, three quarters of the front page on the uh, Eindhoven insert portion of the newspaper in color. Like, you know, <laughs> I, I have it above. I framed it because my mom made me, so it's sitting above me right now. But. <laughs> So it is kind of interesting because uh, one of my colleagues at ASML calls me Mr. Yumbo now, and uh, I think that's adorable. But you know, it's it's kind of it's uh, it's amazing how what you did uh, back back then. I mean, we 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 really need more people, more expats just like you. You know, so so keep up the good work, uh, Parak. Uh, well, I appreciate it. We got to find something creative to do for this year. You know? Exactly, but of course tonight, uh, I mean, besides giving out to other people, you also would like to. Um, treat yourself as well with uh, something nice, right? In the in the in the yeah. in, in the event of tonight, we're talking about cars. We are. Um, you have recently become the proud owner of a car. Yes. Tell yes. us more about it. So buying a car as an expat uh, requires a little bit of patience and a lot of uh, due diligence and research, right? So. At the end of the day, the experience was really, really pleasant because I went to um, basically in, in the Netherlands, you have the, the secondary used car dealers. And I was dealing with the kind of boutique luxury mid-range um, used car dealer who holds an inventory of 10 to 12 cars. And apparently this is very common. 
And I think the direct translation would be the closest to like a, a garage where it's like a really, it's a specialty shop. They, they deal with a very specific breed of cars. This place was dealing only with uh, kind of m the midline for BMWs and, and Mercedes. And they focus on that and they, and they get, you know, the best of the best. So I, I did a lot of research just finding who it was that I wanted to engage with uh, at the very beginning, because I didn't want to risk something like a Facebook purchase or here they use uh, something called market plots. Yeah. Um, and, and so I didn't want to necessarily risk that, you know, with this level of purchase. And by the way, this is the first car I've ever bought in my life. And it ended up being a really pleasant experience and we can dig into some components of it, but in my entire life, I have seen one used car that I was interested in test driving and I went there and within two hours and 15 minutes, I was I signed the documents and it, it was mine. So I, I don't know too many people that do all of this research online, find exactly what they're looking for, this needle in a haystack on the paper. They go to a facility and it's exactly as portrayed and then they can come out and, and be satisfied with the purchase. So that was really interesting. And, and there's components of this that I'm sure your readers would be, or listeners rather, uh, would yeah, love to. Yeah, uh, because feel, feel, feel free to elaborate because I thought, you know, for somebody uh, out there listening to this radio show mm -hmm. who've never bought a car, but now are thinking to actually buy one, they you know, they have a lot of uh, things that they have in mind, right? Uh, the papers, the documentations, is it hard, yeah. especially when, you want to buy a second-hand car. Um, yeah. What are the risks um, um, that you have associated with that as well? And you know, yeah, yeah. right. So certainly, um, you know, buying a second-hand car is going to uh, have the same kind of uh, anxiety level as you would buy in the United States, right? But um, there are protections. Like, so if you buy from a place and, and they can certify pre-own it for you, then that's always good. And and the dealerships here regardless of the of the brand it would be even toyota or honda or whatever we'll have those pre-owned options but i knew i was specifically looking for a bmw 3 series cabriolet convertible hardtop retractable right with a manual transmission that was ideally not ever driven outside of the netherlands with less than eighty thousand kilometers now they stopped making that chassis in 2013 so to be able to find this was like it was a dream dream search and i did find it and that's what was really fantastic about it so i you know in terms of uh you know confirming the integrity of the vehicle itself was not that big of a challenge for me it was trying to understand the cultural buying interaction like am i going to be able to negotiate and then how is financing done right so uh, a lot of the times in the netherlands you have a bank account you're not drawing any interest there and for me i have to take into account whether bringing dollars back from the United States makes sense because I'm also drawing seven to seven and a half percent interest on my money market accounts there. So then the question is, do I get a loan in the Netherlands that that I'm paying off at a lower interest rate than what I'm gaining in the U.S.? So for me, there were there were a lot of these types of considerations. And when you're buying as an expat, uh, you want to make sure that you understand the fundamentals. So the very basic fundamentals in car purchasing in the Netherlands is knowing about the base car price and on the secondhand market, you have to understand the depreciated values of what are known as BMP and then BTW, which is effectively the, the VAT tax. How do you, right? how do you calculate that the depreciation, depreciation value? So the, the BPM is basically your pollution tax that you pay. And if it's a gasoline emitting car, and again, this one's a gas guzzler, right? So what they do is they look at uh, the, the pollution rate of, uh, I think it's uh, grams per uh, cubic meter or something per liter of having driven the car. And then they, they come up with an emission standard. 
So this car back in 2013, brand new, was 63,000 euros. Um, plus, I think that was without the BMP, which was like 11,800. So when you buy this car 10 years down the line, or sorry, it was a 2011 car. So when you buy it 10 years down the line, that second owner or that first owner is going to hand off a certain amount of that depreciated value that's included in the, the car purchase price, right? So he's selling it to the dealer and then the dealer, you know, comes up with that depreciated price and adds it to the all-in value, right? So let's say you're buying a 25,000 euro car and with a car like this that started at a BPM of 12,000, um, the reflected price 10 years later was approximately 36 to 3,800 euros still. And that's handed down to the, the second owner. There's a component of this that's also tax, but when you just like when you go to the grocery store in the Netherlands and you see the price of bread is one euro, that includes your your VAT price, right? right. Um, and so when you when you're getting advertised prices from these garages or at the BMW dealership or whatever, um, that is the all-in price, which includes this depreciation. Gotcha. So, so buying a car in the Netherlands is especially complicated because it, it is the most expensive country in the mainland of of Europe to own a car. It just is. Uh, the Dutch love their bicycles, uh, as is you know. It, but is it the 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 sale price of the car that is expensive, or is it the cost of ownership? It's it's both. So we'll get into the cost of ownership in a second. You know, the Dutch are very uh, you know environmentally um, concerned, right? And and a lot of the culture operates with bicycles, and and I haven't. I, I don't go a day without being asked when I'm going to buy one, which is going to be never, to be honest with you. But uh, it's about the only thing of the Dutch culture I don't think I'll embrace. But uh, but yeah, so you know, not only is owning a car expensive, but owning a car that also puts it in a tier of a mid to higher level luxury brand is, is not made easy by the Dutch government. So um, you have the purchase price, which includes your pollution tax and your, your hat, which are related BPF, BTW, respectively. But then you also have what's known as road tax, which is based on the gross weight of the car, uh, not including, or maybe including the weight of an average driver. So that, for me, rang in at 1,700 kilos. And then you go to the chart, and they establish a road tax, which you pay per quarter. So for me, that's right at 250 euros uh, a quarter, um, which is somewhat reasonable. This keeps up with the infrastructure of the roadways and things like that. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, I'm paying a lot more than a guy with the Toyota Prius. Yeah. Um, but you know, that's the, that's part of the cost of ownership. And then in the Netherlands, you're also getting just absolutely pummeled with uh, gasoline, right? So. Our uh, base gasoline is an octane 95. It sells at about one, as of yesterday, 185 uh, euros. these days, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So, that, you know, that's ringing in at around $8.50 with a direct currency conversion. Per mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's absurd, you know? I mean, the highest I ever paid was probably $4 in Chicago in yeah. 2008 or so. So, yeah, I mean, they're, they're not going to make it easy for for you to drive a car, but you can go to the you can go to Belgium or Germany sure. to refill the tank. Um, but you know, uh, other things like when you when you're buying a car like this, you're also if you can't buy it twice, you can't afford the car, right? So and this is should be the general rule of thumb, and especially with a, a ten year old BMW that's going to start getting hit with maintenance. Um, you know, it's it's going to be very important that I keep it garaged and in the best possible. Mm -hmm. uh, service shape as possible. Yeah. Uh, but but what might be interesting for your expat listeners to understand is that you know the financing 
of these cars, which is often done through the dealerships themselves in the United States, is not my experience, especially with this kind of boutique garage that I went to. The expectation was that on the day of delivery, July the 10th, just a week and a half ago or so, um, I would have paid the entire amount of the car, which was, you know, it, it's not absurd to hear, but the, again, the Dutch are very much don't buy what you don't have. They're very anti-credit. Yeah. And and I really appreciate that component of the culture. Mm -hmm. um, and the smart people in the United States, even when they use credit cards, they pay it off every month uh, so as to not carry a balance and get Which is, of course, sometimes not the best thing to do when buying a car, right? The car depreciates, but then you're also paying off interest off your loan. Yeah, sure. But uh, it depends, right? So I didn't need the money from a loan um, institution here, but if it's financially in my interest, meaning if I'm paying 4.1% or 2% on the loan, mm -hmm. but I can use the same monies that I'm not paying from my own account and send that back to the US and draw yeah. 8%, then you know there's no advantage for me not to take the loan because it's it's a secure thing. And they're, they, they evaluate your risk potential of flight. And so your, your rate as an expat might be higher, but you know, coincidentally, my five-year residency permit just got uh, renewed. And on top of that, my contract at ASML became indefinite. So now if you're a lender, you're looking at the risk um, again against, you know, the, the loss potential. And then they come up with a rate. And so I didn't end up going that route. I found a, uh, an alternative solution, just sending uh, dollars back. Uh, for me, it was a favorable rate of exchange. Uh, for, for dollars to euros yeah. um, and so i ended up not exercising the option to take take a loan here tell but us it, tell us tell something about uh the bargaining right because i mean when you buy a car <laughs> uh did you can you bargain here in the netherlands that's also well, the question that you that you get could you bargain okay. in the us and could you do the same thing here and do you get a lot of room to bargain okay so uh, this this is a very good question and, and obviously i i'm not the most sophisticated person to answer this because i'm not dutch but if i were american and i'm going to just buy a regular three series bmw or a toyota camry from you know uh, 2016 there's like a thousand options in every state that i can can go to and i can really find the options that i want and if i'm not getting a good deal from dealer a i'm going to go to dealer b now in the Netherlands, you, you've got the challenge of finding a very unique item. The guy knows that I know that he knows that I know, right? Like, you know, there's no there's no play there. He knows that whoever comes to see it next is going to pay it out fully sure. because the people that go to those garages have this disposable money. Um, obviously, it was a big chunk of, of my assets that I had in the Netherlands at the time. But, you know, these guys aren't going just because, oh, I'm going to finance it and blah, blah, blah. Again, the Dutch only walk into a car dealership when they can buy it outright. So my like ideal thought was that I'm going to go, you know, the car was listed at 23, um, including six months of warranty. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to offer him 19.8. And my friends that were helping me find the car were like, no, this is ridiculous. I was like, am I risking getting laughed out of the shop? And they were like, no, but he's just going to say no flat. Right. And then you're going to have to kind of quickly backtrack. So after I saw the car and this happens a lot, right? The emotions get in the way a little bit. I was like, I'm walking out with the car, but I want to get out as easily as possible, right? He knows, again, he knows that I know that he knows that I know. And so I don't know exactly how to approach it. And I was just, I took my friends aside 
who happened to be Romanian um, undergraduate students at TUE that helped me find the car. They were like, oh, okay, we want to go check it out for you and make sure there's no, you know, unseen issues that they're not declaring. Yeah. So I took these little kiddos along with me and they helped me look at the car. And I, I walked out after I invested, uh, you know, infected it with them. And I was like, should I come in at 21? And they're like, dude, you're not going to, you're not going to get anywhere with it. I, you're probably just going to have to pay him what he asks and then get, get a little bit creative. So we went into the negotiation and he was like, yeah, there was no negotiation. He basically opened by saying, I'm going to take the first guy that walks in and gives me 23. Right. I, and it was, he was just very he literally said that. Yeah. I was wow. like, you know, I kind of, I was dumbstruck because this is not the way uh, a conversation would be open in the U S but the Dutch are also very, very good at negotiating. Right. Sure. So I've heard. And, and maybe I lost a little bit of equity on the, on this end, but, I said, okay, let's, you know, let's get a little bit creative. Can you do something with the warranty? It's done through your dad's organization. You know, he's the BMW specialist that you take for all your servicing. So you offer six months inclusive with this 23K price point. Um, can you give me that, uh, you know, and waive your service costs or something, right? And so at the end of the day, I saved maybe 500 euros. I asked him if he had some extra wheels or something you could throw in, but Again, you're talking about a BMW with 19s on it that have rims that are 2,500 euros just by themselves. So I, I couldn't get very far. And again, he's not a dealer, right? He's not. He's dealing with very boutique uh, types of, of occasions, they call them. Um, and so, you know, he, he knows what he's got. And he was like, I told him later, I was like, look, I'll give you asking price plus this, like, you know, extra 400 for the six extra months of, of uh, insurance or sorry, warranty. But you got to be straight with me. What are you in it for? I was like, I'll I'll sign the paperwork. We'll get it formally done. But you gotta you gotta come at me straight and let me know what you're in it for because I want to know what how much you made off of it. He's like, you know, your initial. I overheard you with your friends, and your initial offer of twenty one was would have been right at where I paid. Oh no. So, okay. No, no, that's no, that's what he was in for it, right? right. So you, you're talking about a business. He's got to make money. Sure. And he's got to detail it. He's got to service it before it comes to me. Mm -hmm. um, he registered my APK. All of these things are not cheap, right? So you're servicing. And oil changes in the Netherlands cost 200 euros. And for a BMW, it's yeah. like 250, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's crazy. Like an oil change in the US with fully synthetic 5W30 is, is $30, right? Wow. And that is even negotiable, right? You go to Jiffy Lube or something and um, they do it for you here. Like, you know, it, it's not even the fact that it's a BMW, any oil change here is, mm -hmm. is extremely expensive for whatever reason. So, so what, would, what would be the tips then you would give to the listeners out there who wanted to negotiate? I mean, at least the car they're, that they're, that they have their eye on is not yeah. the type of car that, you know, the, 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 the salesman actually knows that he knows, and he, you know, the kind of actually the car yeah. that has a higher leverage point that, you know, your situation pretty much, uh, what would you have done differently if it's which is a normal car? Well, so I really wanted to buy something that I could start using pretty immediately. And again, I think I told you this offline. For me, this car is a toy. I'm not using it as a daily driver or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and and so I, I you know, I, I didn't really, I invested a couple of months looking for what I wanted, but once I found it, I wasn't really too concerned about a thousand here and there. But for the people that, that would be and they're trying to buy something for a family or like, you know, something that they're going to use for the next five, six, seven, ten years, I would, number one, find a Dutch colleague and have them go with you and do and do the initial talks. Because 
again, if the car is readily available or of a type that is more popular, right? Something that's more um, practical, so to speak, uh, you, you're going to get a little bit further, I would say. But I, I also think that the pricing is not lecherous as it is potentially in the U.S., right? I, I actually think the price point of 23 where I was with this guy was very fair. And the car was in immaculate condition. It's, it's driving 10 out of 10. It's not and better. And both sides got happy, right? Yeah. So am I going to remember this thousand extra that I might have paid uh, 10 years from now? No. Am I going to be super happy that I had the car when I did, you know, and got some time in the summer? And am, I, I'm dealing with a really reputed dealer who I'm happy to be in business with, right? Because if I had done it at Market Plots or Facebook or even at the BMW dealership down the street from ASML, I, I wouldn't have gotten that personal interaction with the person that I'm buying from. I mean, to the point where I have the gentleman in WhatsApp. I talk to him, you know, frequently when I have a question about a accessory that I don't understand. But also, he's gonna come watch a PSV game with me. We're gonna play PlayStation. <laughs> he sent me pictures of his daughter. I mean, these are the types of things that like really make life uh, happy, right? And, and that's a great word for it, which I always mispronounce. But you want things to be gazelleg, right? Like, yeah. how do you pronounce it? Gazelleg. Yeah, so I mean, to me, this entire experience was very cozy, right? And I, I wrote on the Google review for the gentleman. I said, car is 15 out of 10, car buying experience 20 out of 10, right? Um, because, because uh, you know, and again, maybe, maybe some people would be sticklers about the price point and the fact that, okay, maybe there was a little bit more to squeeze there. But I know how much personal effort he put in, even after I signed the documentation and the final, final payment was in. He sent it back to his dad's shop to detail it again. And the only thing that had happened between the test drive and the second detailing was me taking it out for five kilometers. And let me tell you something else. I haven't driven a manual transmission in 15 years, right? And only then, uh, on top of that, only maybe 20 times total in my life. So this is in India when I went for visits and in the United States, like my buddy's cars, right? So I am not a, a person that's sophisticated with this system. Sure. And he took an hour with me on Saturday morning before we took the final registration documents down. And, and, and he took me around and he was like, all right, I'm not gonna let you leave until you're comfortable shifting these gears, right? And gears two through six, no problem. But one to two and you know, going around curves and, and negotiating those corners with a little bit of the Dutch road rules and things like that. It, again, it really made me very comfortable in, in everything and it made me feel you want to walk away with a smile from a dealership sure and that's part of the win right there yeah so you want to put that in monetary terms i to me that also has value right and yeah yeah absolutely you know, i made absolutely. a new friend i you know and he's i i, I, I think yeah yeah so so i i think one of the lessons learned from for the listeners out there if they want to at least get a, such a nice salesman uh, uh, or car dealer at least read some reviews right i i, I think you did your homework yeah. as well I, I did I did, but again, remember, I'm looking for one in a million uh, like uh, sure. criteria. Um, so I had to go wherever the car was, where I was finding it. I only found two occasions in all of Europe, and one was in Germany. And I almost went to Germany to go check it out, but then I realized I would have gotten crushed on BMP because when you import cars, the, the cars that you import from Germany, and this is very important, or anywhere outside of the Netherlands itself, that car price will not include your BMP. So when you import you're gonna get crushed on import 
cost. Because in the end, are you going to end up cheaper or more expensive when you export import? It depends. It depends on if you're looking for a really luxury kind of gas guzzler, you're probably going to get crushed bringing it to the Netherlands. But if you're bringing in an electric vehicle, um, it'll probably be a much better deal to go there uh, to Germany or whatever. I mean, you'll save a few thousand euros for sure. I mean, you really get assessed a very big penalty on the import because of the the, the pollution um, kind of rating of yeah. the car. Yeah. And especially if it's never been registered in the Netherlands, you're just going to get absolutely pummeled. Because for each gram per cubic, whatever meter it is that you're above, you pay 50 euros per, yeah. per unit. So if I'm buying this exact same car, I think on import taxes alone, I would have paid 9,000. Uh, and then the price point of the car itself would have been closer to 17 or sure. something. But I mean, then you're also risking a purchase in a country that's not the one in which you hold residency. Of course. You can deal with all sorts of tax issues. And, and risk. Like, well, yeah. So the other component to this whole car buying purchase was that was very complicated that Americans should know about, or really anybody that's lived outside of the EU, is the insurance. So if you're if you're buying car insurance here, they have what's known in the Netherlands as the number of claim-free years that you can apply for. And there's only a few companies that look at your claim history from the United States and bring that over uh, for evaluation. And so you get the biggest discount here when you've had 15 claim-free years or more. And to get them to accurately assign that to you can be complicated because um, here, if you're providing proof of that, you have to be the formal policyholder, which is usually just one person, not even the person and a spouse. It's usually just one person in the family. Whereas in the United States, you can, you know, it's a little bit different. The wording of policyholder can also apply to the other family members. So it was actually quite a challenge to get them to do uh, an assessment on what I was bringing over from the U.S. Mm -hmm. Without it, I would have paid something close to 350 euros uh, a month wow. in insurance, and alternatively, I pay 60 because they gave me all of the credit for the years that I earned. In Fant the US. Fantastic story, man! Now, how how does she ride? It's been uh, two weeks, right? It's <laughs> so it's been 10 days, and I drove it 110 kilometers back from the dealership. And then I was putting in like the dash cam and getting my emergency kit together and all that stuff. And I was taking the top up and down quite a few number of times to get the, you know, to get the wiring right. And, and during this time, I realized I have drained the battery. And the other problem is, is that it's not, it's not extinguished, but it's fairly low. And the problem is, is that me being an inexperienced manual transmission driver cannot get it out of the parking garage, which has a 30 degree slope. So I've tried to do it twice now. I stalled both times, and both times the people from the Yumbo had to come down. They, oh, their break room geez. is above. It's directly their break room is directly above the ramp, and uh -huh. so after they finish laughing at me by looking through the window, they come down and they help me take the car up the ramp. So the the point is is that I have to drive it for another hundred kilometers or so before uh, the battery <laughs> the battery recharges and stuff, and then then I will be happy to take it out for weekend excursions and whatnot. But it's it's been stationary in the garage now for seven days, which is a little <laughs> sad. But uh, I'm also actually teasing myself a little bit, right? Like yeah. you delay the uh, satisfaction and gratification. By All right, for now, we'll take a break. <laughs> uh, we'll play your favorite song. Hopefully you can play in your car. Throw me a and dance. Uh, this is a great song. All right, that's a and dance uh, by Stromae. 
That's uh, that's definitely the type of song that you want to play in your car, right? That is, and you know what? It's uh, it's regained popularity because of its TikTok. Uh, there's a TikTok dance that goes with it, but it's actually an 11 year old song, just like my it car. Is. So, <laughs> <laughs> good one. Hey, uh, Prague. Uh, tonight we're yeah. just going to be talking about the Dutch healthcare, right? Um, yeah. The, the internationals have this, uh, you know, very uh, bad stereotype about D Dutch healthcare. Usually, um, even before they come here, uh, people also already warn you about the Dutch healthcare, and they say, you know, be careful because as soon as you go to the doctor, they'll only give you paracetamol, and then you go home again to to have a rest. And some cases, even some extreme cases. Um, um, you're not being treated. You don't get any treatment at all. But uh, how's your experience been? Uh, how how what was what was your experience that actually made you interact with Dutch healthcare system? Well, yeah. So I'll tell you. So I'm sure some of your viewers can see. Uh, I have this uh, very serious facial laceration um, that I incurred by when I was cleaning under my TV stand, and I just fell forward, and boom! I thought it was a nosebleed at first, but it ended up being a pretty serious cut and I, I waited a little bit too long to get the stitches so by the time I ended up getting in touch with the doctor they were like ah, you just need to let it heal and, and come back to us for plastic surgery evaluation but you know I you know generally speaking I have had a very positive experience with the Netherlands uh, healthcare I do know exactly what you're talking about you get a 10 minute appointment a lot of times you get the indication for paracetamol they don't take uh, baby concerns very seriously from what I've heard, which is very scary. Um, I read about it sometimes on, on the Americans uh, in the Netherlands Facebook group. Um, and so th there are some horror stories that I've heard of, but I, I feel like because I'm in Eindhoven, it's a little bit more of an expat friendly town. And my house doctor, which if you don't know how it works in the Netherlands, everybody has a house doctor uh, that refers you to what you need to do. Even even going to the hospital, you would go there first or call the after hours uh, house doctor first and then get the referral. And as a matter of fact, you can even be fined going to the hospital for a non-emergency um, non, uh, non without the referral. So th there are some portions of the healthcare system that are, are scary, but, and I know a lot of people in the Netherlands complain about this 1,200 or 1,300 euros that they pay as a premium per year, but I'm coming from the United States, right? Which is uh, a catastrophic uh, healthcare situation. We're going through big things with single payer issues, debates about, you know, just absolute lecherous uh, business practices. And if you, if you break a leg, you might go bankrupt in the US, right? Yeah. I, I you know, if you're middle-class and you have decent insurance and you're, you're, the amount of coverage you have for something like that is 20,000 and at the end of the day, you end up staying in the hospital for two weeks or something for whatever reason, and your bill is 70 and you've got 55,000 in the bank account, guess what you're leaving with? 5K, right? So, I mean, they're going to come after every dollar that you have. And, you know, unless you're completely indigent and on a, on a welfare system that, you know, which is also bad because you don't want the people to be um, in a situation where, where some have to pay a lot or more than their fair share and others don't. But and I don't know the solution. I'm not sitting here and politicizing it because, you know, I'm just one person and, and, and it is what it is. But, you know, I find that the, the interest, I, I can speak to some of the positives about the, the Netherlands, right? So I, I think you can go a little bit further in your success rate if you're a little bit more firm in the position that you're taking for certain things, right? What so, do you mean? So when I went to the doctor, I'm 40 now, uh, and, and I very much, you know, my body 
thinks that I'm 40 also. So <laughs> what I mean by that is that, you know, I, I sometimes I have back pain for no reason. Like, oh, I just got dizzy standing up. And so 40 is about that age where everybody starts getting a yearly physical uh, for men, right? And so that includes um, a prostate exam, you know, EKG, uh, lung function test, blood work. And this is usually done once a year in addition to your twice dental type of stuff. And when I went and I said, you know, I'd like to do the full panel of tests, she was like, what are you talking about? And I was like, you know, I'd like to take blood and, and the lung function and hearing and EKG and the prostate. And she was like, you're the first person in my entire history of my practice that's ever asked me for any of this without any indication to do it. And I said, well, you know, I'm 40 now. And she's like, and? and I, thought, I thought telling her that I was 40 was this automatic, like, oh, yes, yes, we do that for all of these people that turn 40. This is, this is not what happens here. And I finally, I was like, look, man, I don't know. And she's like, look, you're going to have prostate cancer when you're 75. It just matters whether it goes really slow or it's going to kill you immediately. We don't really do these types of checks. And we're definitely not going to do the invasive one. We're going to give you as much information as we can get out of the blood blood examination. And I said, okay, well, that you know, that was a little comforting for another reason. But you know, I still said I I, I want to press for some of these exams. And she's like, I tell you what, I, I feel the Americanism in you, right? <laughs> and so I will cater to your absurdity, so to speak, and I will let you do this full panel of stuff, and we'll do a full blood blood work and everything. But you cannot ask me for doing this again for the next like two years. And I was like, all right, you have a deal. So I did all of them. And, and a little bit funnily, I have to go back and redo them uh, because the EKG that I used was was not calibrated properly because it's used so infrequently, apparently. And the lung function test also had some calibration problem with the software. So now I have to go do the two most intensive components of the examinations again. But yeah, I mean, look, they if you put a little pressure on them and maybe they're going to give it back to you. Yeah, they're going to give it to you. They will. And and so the other thing was is that in the very first time I went to the house doctor, uh the two very special things happened. First was at the end of the 15 minutes I was just talking to her about, you know, I thought what I thought was just kind of a general checkup, right? Uh she was like it's been 15 minutes. Uh this is the end of your appointment. I was like, what are you talking about? It's been 15 minutes. And she's like, yeah, if you have another issue, you have to make a double appointment. And we'll do it consecutively in most cases, but you have to do that specifically and ask for it uh, because we won't talk to you about two separate issues in the same time frame." Wow. I was like, okay, doc, I'll come back. I'll schedule something. I live right down the street, no problem. Um, and then I was like, okay, how's the billing work? Like, are you, do I just, do I, do I- Do, do I, I pay there? Hey, <laughs> where do I pay, right? And she's like, I, I don't understand the question. And I said, uh, yeah, so, you know, you I just came to see you, you know, I need to pay for your services. And she was like, oh, no, no, anything that we do at the house doctor is covered. And I was like, what are you talking about? And she was like, yeah, if you want to have an intro conversation with our psychiatrist, no problem. You know, if you want to do any of these tests, anything that we can offer you, get your weight checked, cholesterol, whatever. Or just come talk to us because you're bored. <laughs> I don't know. Well, that is free. It's covered by your general basic insurance plan. I was like, so I can any procedure you do here is covered by regular insurance, and I don't pay you a copay. I don't shell out any extra money. And she's like, no. I in, in fact, this is the first first time I've ever heard of such a thing. I was like, is there anything you would possibly bill me for out of this office? And she's like, yeah. Sometimes if we send your blood work to an outside lab. 
then your insurance company may get the bill and then bill you. But I haven't seen that happen even. And I said, okay, what's that going to be? Like 250, 300 euros, something like that. She's like, uh, no, no. <laughs> the blood test, just to get the basic one, is, is 22 euros. And I apologize for that. And then she was like, then you have to pay for each of the examinations that you do separately. I was like, okay, it's got to be like, you know, 15, 20 euros per edition. She's like, no, and I'm sorry about this. It's 80 euro cents, $1, 50 euro cents, blah, 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 for each of these extra evaluations for like vitamin D and, you know, liver function and all that stuff. And I was like, first of all, I don't understand why you're apologizing. And second of all, I will happily give you all the money that I have every time. I will get a blood test every week just to be at par with what I'm experiencing in the United States, right? So, um, so in that sense, my experience with the healthcare system has been very positive. And there's one other, yeah, go ahead. But do you agree though? Do you understand their reasoning why they are actually reluctant to do those tests um, as basic care? If I mean, just, yeah, yeah we, we don't do a lot of preventative care here in the Netherlands. And I think part of that is the holistic kind of uh, treatment pathway that they take, you know, homeopathic medicine, for example, is a valid, um, legitimized kind of uh, medical treatment plan here, which is uh, very interesting to hear. I, I just don't think it's it's ingrained in the Dutch uh, cultural standard to do these types of uh, medical procedures unless there's cause for it. Mm -hmm. And I do think that there's a potential for some negative uh, result out of that. And I've heard of horror stories where People are complaining about uh, cancer symptoms, and uh, by the time that it's actually realized to be uh, not just the symptom, but you know, full blown, you know, they're in stage three, stage four, and there's really nothing you can do about it. And and a lot of the times, maybe people are not as willing to do these types of preventative investigations, is because there really isn't a whole lot of medical malpractice lawsuits that come across the table, and you know. If you go and say like, I, I have a concern that this doctor treated me wrongly, I, I wouldn't be surprised if you just get a shrug from them, right? Sure, so, sure. But um, there, there's actually a question on Facebook from Kiran Vivek Muthal. Uh, here she asked, do you think it's easier to get diagnosed in the US than here because of yeah, all these reasonings? So the one good thing I can say about the United States, you know, to kind of <laughs> in contrast to the ludicrous way that we're built there is that, you know, the, the medical procedures are, are quite thorough and well done and, and cutting edge technology and, and not done lackadaisically. And, uh, you know, here you, you could very well get a medical assistant to do the hearing exam that has no formal degree. Even. I mean, they're in training. And when I was doing my ear exam here, they actually poked into the kind of ear canal to the point where it bruised the inner side of my ear. And all I got was like a sorry, right? I mean, it ended up being fine, but these are, you know, some of the kind of more general procedures are not done done by people that hold the equivalent of a medical doctorate. Um, so, you know, I, I I would not necessarily depend on the Dutch healthcare system for diagnosis and treatment of uh, ailments that are serious, but there are other countries that aren't as ludicrously lecherous as the United States, where you could still get very good treatment. Canada is a good example. I think some of the Asian countries, Turkey, Israel, you know, India, um, yeah. mo mo you know, I, so I for, think- So for, 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 
for more serious disease, then you would also recommend uh, people to get sort of like a second opinion as well from other country if if they can afford to, right? I mean, that's a question of you know whether. Yeah. And the good thing is, you know, you're in the EU, so you can probably find another place um, that specializes in in certain areas of medicine that are are going to be higher quality, right? So, Germany and Belgium are right next door. You can go there. I don't know about all the health systems, so I don't want to say something that's going to upset somebody on on this interview. Um, but yeah, I've been grateful enough to not have, you know, encountered any of that personally. I had a very serious and chronic back issue um, ten years ago, and and the medical system really helped me in the United States. But one of the reasons I left with a positive experience then was because I was indigent, right? I was a graduate student, and for at the time that I had the the complication emerged, I wasn't on salary. So I could draw, I could claim to the government that I had a zero dollar income. And and for that reason, I was able to take advantage of some of the mm-hmm. in care programs that they had at the time. But this is not, you know, the the status, the, 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 the kind of regular operation method in the United States. And, and here, I think we, we 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 tend to focus on the negative, and that's just the way we are as humans, right? Um, and and you're not looking at all the benefit that you're getting out of the th- 1,200 euros a year, and that's mandated by law, which I think it should be. Um, uh, for what you're getting from that, it's is quite a bit of security because I know for a fact if I break my leg here, the most I'm ever going to pay out of pocket is the personal responsibility amount which is 385 euros. And you can make that a little bit higher. You can make it 895. something. Yeah. yeah. So I pay, I pay 895 because I'm, you know, relatively healthy, although I'm 40 and, you know, <laughs> I have the problems getting out of bed. Um, generally speaking, I'm healthy. So I thought I could take a little bit more risk on the upfront deductible and pay a little bit lower on the premium. But, you know, 1,100, 1,200, 1,300 euros is not a large amount. And I know, especially for students and people that are at the lower salary points, that's also a lot of time subsidized by the government. So yeah, I think people will always complain. You're going to complain about needing legal insurance here, whereas in the United States, it's it's kind of unheard of unless you absolutely need a lawyer. But that's just the way it works here. That's the system. Mm-hmm. And and for other things like liability insurance, when you have a car, it's just the way it is, man. I sure. mean, if you don't want to do it, but I will leave the medical side with a very positive note that relates to my facial injury. That when I went there, I, you know, I, to be quite honest with you, I cried a couple of times in front of a physician. And I was like, look, this is mentally devastating because God decided to take away my hair and I don't have perfect teeth. About the only good thing I had left so was my, eye, my eyelashes, right? So, and now you've taken that away from me. And it's right in the middle of my face, right? So it's very clear. And so instead of lying, like all the young ladies have told me to do about getting into a bar fight, um, I'm just going to correct myself to the original standard para gupta, hopefully, that I used to be. And so that includes uh, plastic surgery uh, consultation. And and I said, you know, I'm willing to pay out of pocket for it. I just, you know, 5000 even if it's 5000 or 10000 I'd rather have my face back. And she looked at me and she was like, look, you know, even though it's somewhat of a cosmetic procedure, there is a very consideration, a big consideration that this could be psychologically impactful or impacting your career opportunities and prospects. And for that reason, if we sign off on it, we can get that approved by insurance as well. And this just kind of blew my mind because it's clearly cosmetic. But again, the way that they look at things, holistic growth or holistic treatment coupled with 
you know, real emphasis on how the person's feeling and doing um, is very characteristic of the Dutch. And I think there's pros and cons everywhere and there's always gonna be, um, but I'm, I'm happy to be here and I'm happy to live here. Thank you for sharing your story, Prague. It's been a great catching, catching up with you. Uh, yeah, with you. Good, my, luck. Good, luck. Good luck with Dutch healthcare system and enjoy the car, I would say. Uh, I'll try. Take her for a ride more often. <laughs> I well yeah more than zero is probably good <laughs> all right we're gonna play the weekend and we'll see you guys again for those of you listening uh next time thank you for our bye <laughs>